0: and welcome to Return to Gilead. I'm Michael LeFevre. I'm Ryan Matlock. And today we have the great privilege to welcome Rodney Tesla, voice of Tom Richter, to the show. Tom, uh, not Tom. <laughs> uh, Mr. Tesla, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you. Hey, it's my pleasure. You can call me Tom. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your role on the show, how you got started, um, why, I guess, why you're here on this podcast. But uh, anyway, yeah, you want to go ahead? Sure.
1: Um, I played a little bit of an unusual role in, in, even before I got the part of Tom Richter, because I got word from a pastor friend of mine that the Children's Bible Hour, they were looking for um, somebody to... Transform them from what was the children's Bible hour into a 30 minute radio drama or what was to become down Gilead lane. And I didn't know anything about radio. I didn't know what I was doing. I'd done, you know, a fair amount of drama in church and some local theater and was a Christian and had performed a fair amount. So I don't know if that made me qualified or, or, or not, but I joined them and it was for about six months that we deliberated how to go about Finding a writer and and also how to keep the radio show going while we were in transition. And the main thing that I pushed for was that we had a real story, that we had a professional writer that was obviously a a Christian, but somebody that could tell a story if I can put it this way, that didn't sound too churchy. Sure. Mm -hmm. I don't mean that as an insult. I mean I mean that as I just wanted it to be a real story. And I was just so tickled when when Beth came on board and and her writing style just fit perfectly with what I had in mind. And uh, what happened after that was, yeah, I auditioned for the for the part of Tom, not necessarily thinking that that I was even going to be a part of the radio radio show, um, because let's see, it was the professional actors that played the adults. They came in from Chicago. I, I was here and I was the only local adult here from grand rapids and the morrisons they were played by jill mueller right and roger mueller yes is that right sounds right this is going back a few years for me so you got to forgive me (laughs) and uh anyway they had me come in and and read I, i know beth was finally hooked when when they asked me to if i could read something as an old person i was just using my regular voice and i didn't end up playing an older person so i don't know why they asked me to do that, but uh if <laughs> so I jumped into a voice, it sounded something like this, and I think I gave it a little <laughs> at the end and as soon as I laughed. <laughs> Beth laughed, and if you ask me, I think that's why I became a part of the part of the show
2: oh, that's great,
1: and by the way, feel free to say, and Rodney, give us the reader's digest version because everything is a story to me.
0: Oh no, we love stories <laughs> okay, that's amazing. I had no idea you were so involved in the early days of the show, so what was it like looking for writers and finally settling on Beth Culp? Like, obviously her writing stands out, but what was it specifically about, about her that stood out in the writing process? Were you involved in choosing her for that?
1: No, I, I wasn't. I was more involved with... Um, they wanted to update the the short dramas that they were doing at that time, and so... We casted new people, and I played in in some of the storylines that that we did. That's back when it was a five minute drama, still part of the children's Bible hour. And um, so they asked for my input as far as story, but as far as the the search for it, I'd, I I'm not even sure how they found Beth. I only know it was exact exactly what I wanted.
0: <laughs> Got it. Well, that makes sense. So you were eventually cast in the role of Tom Richter, and there there are some behind the scenes clips where I think we hear. Beth Culp saying, all right, come on, I'll come on back and I'll, I'll give you some more of the background or I'll read from the Bible or something of the writer's Bible that she had mm. written up. So how much of the story did you know from the start when you were playing Tom?
1: Uh, she was pretty great about her idea of where the whole story was was going as far as my transformation even though it was about five years later before
0: uh spoiler warning by the way just for anyone listening yes that's okay it's all right keep going
1: yeah so i there was some pretty tough stuff that i had to go through in order to for that transformation to happen with my with my character but within the the story itself um yeah tom's backstory had some history as far as can i be how much how much spoiler do you want
0: well, go ahead and give us everything. We've given the warning already, okay. so for anybody out there, yeah. Just so you know,
1: well, Grace is is blind, and it and it turns out during the show that that over the years we find out that she's blind because she was in a traffic accident, and I was the cause of that traffic accident because I was driving home drunk, and I just thought, wow, that's a pretty remarkable thing to put in a children's episode. But one of her best contentions was, you know this is gonna be a great opportunity for parents to talk with their younger children about, you know, the seriousness of life and, and the consequences we face when we make poor decisions. And yeah, for me, I just, that's, that's the part of the, the story that I, that I really like. So I, I knew that that was coming out because they had a reason for Grace's blindness and they had a reason why I did not want this woman on the cul-de-sac. Obviously, it had nothing to do with her personality, had nothing to do with the fact that she was this incredibly gracious person that invited children into her home. So all of that's good. So why in the world would Tom Richter have such a problem with her? Well, that's the reason, because I knew she knew the story, and I did not want my story to get out
0: yeah. In those early episodes, when Tom Richter finds out that Grace is talking to the kids or she's starting a Bible study with the kids in Beth's, and I think Leah Gartner's is writing also. You can hear Tom start to change. And in your acting, it was great where you come across like, oh, she's saying this to the kids. And we get some incredible acting, if I can, mm. if, I can if I can say that on, on your part, I, with, I, between you and Roger Mueller, at the end of season three, where uh, John Morrison comes to confront Tom about what he's doing. So, you want to talk a little bit about that scene? Yeah,
1: tell me specifically what what scene you're talking about. Uh, Mr. Morrison didn't, and I didn't have a whole lot of interaction, but yeah, on occasion we did, and oftentimes. Well, he was always so kind. He had this great voice, too, that was always just so gentle and made me feel like, boy, I should really like this person because I would in real life. And Richter, the character I was playing, really had to be like, you don't understand. This is not the way that I wanted it to go. And so he was wonderful to play off from because, quite frankly, my wife in the show, Monica, uh, played by who again? Uh, Joyce Bean, right?
0: Yes, that was her name. Yeah.
1: Um, she was a very strong character to which I was much more mild-mannered and gave in to her and her way. But with John Morrison, again, you have a different sort of character being portrayed to me, someone mild-mannered, where I felt I had a lot more freedom to express how I really felt. So I enjoyed those scenes with with John because it gave me a lot of latitude to be upset, and he would still come back with, well, you know, Tom, here's what you need to think about. He was great to work with.
0: Yeah, and the scene I was specifically referring to was where Tom has hired a lawyer mm. to try to go after Grace and to keep Maya away from Grace and John goes to Tom and he says, "Look, I know everything, Tom, and I can't sit by while you mm. do this to your family." Right. And there's a scene where you start off angry about, "You have you have no right to come in here. Don't you think I like we may not be like a, a as warm and fuzzy a family as as you are, but we are family. And at the end of the scene, you're breaking down crying, it sounds like. So do you remember that scene? I do.
1: I don't remember playing that quite that emotional, but I, I, I do know that I was taken back, that this man was being gentle with me, even though I was clearly upset.
0: Yeah, so tell us a little bit more. How was it acting uh, opposite these gray actors like the Muellers or even some of the kids or, or with your family? What were what was it like playing the bad guy mm. uh, on the during the during the recordings, but then <laughs> stepping back and actually trying to be a nice guy? Not during the recordings.
1: <laughs> well, first of all, it's, it's always a pleasure to work with really talented people because you have to play off from whatever they give you. I'm a, I always look at it as my job as an actor not to like say the line the best way that I can so I sound good it's to really listen to the person that's talking to me and what they bring to me I have to match them there and meet them them there so yes to be able to have all of these different personalities come and and bring out the the life or the anger whatever the case may be and my character was was very helpful Because I really do. I I rely on the people I'm working with as much as anything that comes out of me. Because if they're not bringing it out of me, it feels out of place to me.
0: Full disclosure, we tried to record this once. Um, We had to cut it short. So in that recording, you were talking about acting opposite Melissa Pierbolt, who played Tiffany Richter. So what was what was that like with her?
1: Oh, my gosh. It was it was so unusual because you have to you have to picture my youngest daughter, Maya, was. I think roughly seven, eight years old when we, when we began. And that's the age pretty much that she was playing in the, in the show. And Tiffany was not supposed to be that much older than her, maybe a teenager, if you will. But, uh, Tiffany played by Melissa Purebolt, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. She was, I think she got married during the show, but she was in her twenties. And by the end of the show had was married, had kids and, must've been close to 30, if not 30 years old, but she just had this young sounding voice. And it, so it was really unusual to, to speak to a 20 year old, like they're a teenage kid that's messing up. Plus <laughs> added to the fact that I, I didn't have any children. And yet I had to look over at, at Tiffany, a grown woman going, no, no, don't talk to her that way. She's your child and she's a teenager and she's messing up and you're gonna put her in her place. So it was always a a, a challenge because I'm always look even though it's recording nobody's seeing this on on video. I always look at the person that I'm that I'm talking to. So she was a bit of a trip because I had to remind myself, no, she's not that age; she's a
0: teenager. That's great. <laughs> that's that's really fun mm-hmm. with Maya. Even though like she was that age, what was she like as sort of the the softer Richter child, the the one who came to a. Uh, faith in Christ earlier than the rest of the family.
1: Yeah, as I recall, she had just had this really warm voice, a lower register really for someone that young. I actually knew Elise from my, my church because we attended the, the same church and I knew her parents fairly well. So we had actually acted at our our church in Easter programs and Christmas programs and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I had a natural affection for her because we had worked together before and and kind of, it It's weird over the over the years you kinda do adapt these these kids to be your own because years afterward we were friends on Facebook, we stayed connected, and i I don't know I just wanted to know what was going on in their life because I was a pseudo parent if you will
0: were you ever there with with Joyce bean in the studio? oh yeah, 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 yeah. what was that like to work with her?
1: Oh well, she was so easy to respond to because she was such i mean first of all you have to you have to picture the most gracious actor or actress to, to work with and, and such a mild-mannered person. But boy, did she have a voice. And she, her and I could be laughing, joking around, and we'd go into read, and out comes this person of, Tom Richter, come and talk to me. And <laughs> she just was full of fire, and she could, like, turn it on at a press of a button. Unbelievable.
0: Yeah, there are some really... Uh, intense scenes between the two of you, especially after Tom becomes a Christian But mm. before then uh, why don't we talk about Tom's transition from starting out as this rough? Uh, underlying villain of the series mm. sort of yeah. turning into it's like turning softer towards Christianity uh, Some of the earlier moments are at the end of season four where Tom is dropping off I think he's coming to pick up Maya actually from Gilead Lane uh, at the Morrisons and Timmy points out the tree that has the scar on it And we get some flashbacks where I think you're playing Tom Richter, senior Tom's father during the car crash. So like, first off, what was it? What was it like to, do you remember playing Tom's father at all? Yeah.
1: Vaguely that I only did that the one time that I, that I recall the the episode you're, you're talking about. Yeah. I I relied on my directors there a lot because I was going to make the voice sound maybe a little older. But I thought maybe it should have a different characterization to my voice, you know, so it didn't sound like me talking. And I'm not exactly sure how they, they got me to do it, but, um, yeah, we kind of found a happy medium of sounding a little bit like Tom Richter, but also like a different person. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: No, that makes plenty of sense. So you in those flashbacks, you played his father, but then mm-hmm. in the scenes that were in the present, Tom is very visibly shaken, so... What do you remember about those recording sessions and getting Tom to sound like that? Um, well, the,
1: the backstory, at least in, in my head was, you know, talking to your father and my father was a, you know, pretty big wig in the town, obviously had some affluence because he was able to erase basically my, my wrongdoing and spoiler alert, the, the drunk driving incident. And, so I had a natural fear of him as well, and um if I recall that scene correctly, you know, i think I think for most of us, anytime that we've been in trouble and the par- <laughs> and our our parent maybe holds over our head, "Hey, you don't want me to reveal the dot 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 that you did." um there was all all he would have to do all my father in the in the show would have to do was imply something and you go right to that place. So that's where I went to with Tom Richter, that that place of, oh, 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 that's that that's that that, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I that nervous, that nervous talk where you can be upset with your father at the same time, but simultaneously you're on his side like, oh, please don't go there. I'll do anything you ask. So, yeah, that was that was fun.
0: Now, did you play young Tom Richter in those scenes, or was it just uh, Tom Richter Senior, uh, and you know, older Tom Richter that you played for those scenes? Because i I feel like I feel like younger Tom was played by a different actor, right? Hmm.
1: I think I played them both. Oh, that's cool. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure of of that, but i I thought I did. How How young was the Tom Richter in the the scene of you? The young talk- Tom
2: 18, was like eighteen. He's like pulling Grace from the car in one scene. Yeah, that was me. Cool.
1: Or doesn't it sound like me at all? Well, I guess it would be good
0: either way. (laughs) We were talking last recording about the episode where there's a tornado and Maya is injured. You want to talk about uh, what that was like, acting out that scene?
1: Yeah. You're talking about the big dramatic moment when Maya goes unconscious as a tornado comes through. And I'm talking with her at, at, well, we're having a normal conversation. Tornado comes through. There's debris all over us. And we're obviously hurt and and um so Maya and i have a conversation at at first while she's still with it and i'm calling for her to hang in there but the really dramatic moment and really part of the first step of the pivotal moment between god and i is when maya goes unconscious and she doesn't she doesn't answer me can i tell you a funny well i don't know if it's a funny story i don't know it's a story can I tell you a story about recording that scene? Please. If the question is, can you tell a story? Yes, absolutely. You can tell a story. <laughs> uh, I think it's funny, but uh, I don't know how your listeners will take it. But anyway, um, <laughs> so everybody's in the recording studio and suddenly they usher everybody out. And it's just me and a microphone and the paragraph of right after Maya has gone unconscious. And I had seen the script ahead of time, so I knew what was was coming, and I really, really really liked, this was my favorite paragraph of anything that I had ever recorded it for down Gilead Lane, Um, because it's that transition of, I'm actually going to cry out to God, this person that I've been, or this God that I've been pressing against and resisting, and not liking the fact that there's a Bible study on my street, And now my daughter's unconscious and and I have this paragraph where I literally when I say cry out to God, it's a cry to God. It is. And it's an and it's almost an it's so authentic because John wrote it as as such an angry cry. Like, how can you do this? God, are you out there? This is my daughter. How can you do this to me? So you have to picture everybody has just been ushered out. Now I'm in front of microphone and, and they say, you know, go ahead rod and i kind of at this point this is years into the program i kind of think i know what they want and and so i just let it fly and i cannot explain my acting i believe it really more than i try to do anything i i i want it to be natural so i'm not one that is a method actor that goes back in time to a place when i was sad and i don't do any of that i just read the words i believe i'm there and Somehow my emotions take me there and what's weird is I don't have any children. So here's this big dramatic moment I have nothing to go back into my own history. I start reading it. God. Are you out there? How can you do this to my daughter? Please save her. Look, we're gonna make it here. All right. We've got to Maya 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 say something Maya Hey, help us here, will you? Help us out here, now! Hey! No. No. God. God, can you hear me? Save my little girl! So where's your compassion? Where's all that love that I hear so much about? Are you gonna take her away from me, too? YOU ALREADY TOOK EVERYTHING ELSE! GOD SAVE MAYA, please. I'LL DO ANYTHING. I'LL HAVE A BETTER LIFE, OKAY? I'LL BE A BETTER PERSON. I'LL DO WHATEVER YOU WANT TO SAVE MY LITTLE GIRL, WILL YOU? WILL YOU? <laughs> when I do that, I'm not sad, and yet tears just come streaming. i'm a grown adult tears streaming down my cheek and i finish and <laughs> between you and me and the rest of the world out there whoever might be listening i kind of go to myself hmm, uh, i think that was pretty good <laughs> and everybody's silent in the booth in the re in in the recording studio and it's like three four five minutes later they finally come back out <laughs> and they uh And they say over the mic, uh, Uh, Rod, uh, are you okay? And I laugh. I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. I was just acting. I'm I'm fine. And they came back and said, well, if it's okay with you, and take as much time as you need. They were being so gentle. Take as much time as you need, and whenever you're ready, we'd like to take a safety take, if that's all right with you, because that was great. And I'm like, that's fine. Let's do it again. And so we did it again cannot explain it. The exact same thing happened. Tears running down my cheek. And I don't know. I, I don't know why I think that kind of acting is, is fun. But the challenge of it is not for me to go somewhere. It's just to believe the words that are there. And and I did. That, that's why the writing was so important to me, because it had to take not just the audience there, to be honest with you, it has to take me there in order for me to believe it. And yeah, with what John wrote, I, I, I loved it. But I just thought that was so funny that everybody thought, oh man, maybe he's not, maybe he's really upset. Maybe <laughs> he went he okay? to a place where he needs to recover. <laughs> and it was none of that. I immediately was fine, you know. I knew I was acting, but and I know they knew, but so why they thought I would be so upset, I don't know. But
2: You're like, I No, I'm good, yeah. I'm good, guys. I'm good.
0: Wanna do it again, Shar?" Sure. Well, wow. now I noticed a couple of contrasts in the way John Fornoff will write his scenes. Like he's mm. he's really great on the the big and dramatic, and mm-hmm. he'll also work in a great emotional tie. And Beth Culp doesn't do as much of the big and dramatic, but man, she also packs the emotions in there. Yeah. So, did you did you know John Fornoff at all, or did you know his his writing when he came on the the show there in season seven?
1: I didn't. No.
0: Oh, okay. Well, did you see any? Like, I know Beth Culp had also left the show at that point, and Steve O'Dell had come on to start. Or to do more directing he'd been there since the beginning of the show right yeah but what was the difference there in in terms of how she directed versus how he directed or oh I guess, general thoughts yeah on that direction in that time um well you can just kind of tell that that um
1: with beth this was her this was her baby you know um yeah she knew what she was looking for she knew what the emotion was behind it and she knew maybe more specifically than us actors even with where she wanted to go with the story in the future so there was a certain um uh specificity or um, even emotion behind what it is that she was looking for and um but i really liked working with with steve too because he steve odell because I remember specifically he was directing the one where uh, the, the tornado scene, and there was just this tremendous sense of, of freedom where that doesn't say he, he didn't have an idea of where it was going, but it was for me anyway, like this freedom, let's see what you have. And then we'll see if we need to kick certain lines in a certain direction, or I'll, I'll tell you what's going on to make, to put the story in context of how you are feeling and. In that moment and I think that freedom is what really helped me just let loose on some scenes like that. So both very beneficial in their own way. Yeah,
0: it's, it's interesting to hear to hear the difference just from, uh, you know, a listener standpoint mm-hmm. uh, between those those earlier episodes. I think you can hear a lot of the director in the actors Mm -hmm. as weird as that sounds Mm -hmm. but the way the way the the director with some of beth's scripts um when i heard from the behind the scenes she was very very specific about here's the specific way you read this line in the script as well as what she said in the studio Mm -hmm. (laughs) was was that true do you remember any of that
1: yes and 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 again to be to be fair to really understand what's going on there when the actors and actresses when we got together at first we didn't have a backstory you know, even in the first season, we're almost stumbling upon who our character is and how it is that we're going to respond in these, in these moments. But over the years, yeah, you have a sense of who your character is and you kind of want to stay in line with that. So we probably didn't need as much direction. And yet at the same time, we kind of needed to know the context and also where the story was, was going. So I guess that's what I'm talking about. There was a uh, Freedom with Steve O'Dell to, okay, you know who you are. You, you know the Morrisons, you know your own family. Now, go ahead and, and read it your way. And then always interesting to, to receive a, a, a note, at least it is for me, the challenge of, okay, but bear this in mind and see if you can bring that out in, in how you're portraying your character.
0: Steve really seems like he does know the show really well from oh, yeah, the behind the scenes that I've heard with him. Yeah. Because he's even though he hasn't he still hadn't to date written a single episode by the end of the series, but he was there involved in pretty much everything. So yeah. it's really and, cool to see his involvement.
1: When I first came on the scenes before Down Gilead Lane even started, when we were making that transition from a five minute drama part of the children's Bible hour, into the half hour radio drama, Steve was a part of that too. So when we were making those recordings, he was there when when uh, we were editing it, he was he was there. So he was I knew him from the from the very beginning because we worked pretty closely together.
2: I am curious. This doesn't have quite to do with down Gilead Lane, but I'm curious. What are you working on uh, these days?
1: Oh, I wish I could say something utterly fascinating. Uh, can I make something up? <laughs> no, um
0: <laughs> you're, you're doing podcasts now. <laughs>
1: yeah now, now i've hit the big time <laughs> actually i have not done anything since covid um when when covid happened obviously all the the theaters shut down and so since they've opened up again i i haven't auditioned for anything there's a local theater that that i I've done some uh, maybe once every other year. I'm not a theater person that goes from show to show. It has to be something I love, something I believe in. But shortly before COVID, I had done something for the, for the Lutheran Church, as a, as a matter of fact. I played the part of, of Martin Luther in a three-hour cantata. Cantata meaning it's all singing. So three hours of singing, basically. I didn't know I had it in me, but that was that was great fun. I don't think I knew you could sing. Some people still question it. Some people still don't know. So don't worry. <laughs> you sing? Really? Some of my family are like, you sing? I- I'm not so sure. <laughs> Kidding.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but that's what was your theater background like uh, before you started working on Gilead? I-, I think you'd alluded to that either earlier in the show. I had no background. Oh, what? <laughs> I
1: had no background. I-, I-, I wanted to be a superstar athlete in high school. I had to be persuaded in my junior year to to finally try out for a for a, a show and then a, a musical but after and, and get this in my junior senior year of, of high school I never got the part i tried out for i mean i kind of thought i had it in me but it i i matured really late if you ask me i would go to movies and it wasn't until i was like 27 years old that i didn't have to lean to the person next to me and go Okay, who's that again? <laughs> story just took a long time for me to make connections with and I, I think that was actually beneficial to me because I still feel that way, that I'm gonna get something new each time. I go into a story thinking it's it's fresh. I don't wanna predict the ending. I wanna I wanna see where it's actually actually going and not act like I can I have to figure it all out. But there's something about that I wanted to tell you. So, yeah, it wasn't until I I was almost 40 years old, actually, what led me to the point of being able to audition, I was terribly nervous. I, I am not a good reader, a good cold reader. So auditioning, once I was out of high school, I didn't do anything in college, anything through my 20s, 30s. And what kind of got me over my nerves is the fact that I was part of this, improvisational comedy group that got started in my church and before you think oh well yeah okay well, no that sounds fun how can improv comedy even be christian well we just happen to be i was the straight man with two guys that were just absolutely hysterical because if you ask me i'm not that funny so how was i part of a comedy group is still a mystery but we just had chemistry to the point where four years later we had an agent in nashville we're doing 150 shows a year across the country
0: wow what that's insane that's really cool what's the name of this show
2: i want to try to look it up (laughs) it was called cpr lifesavers okay
1: and we committed our what's what's funny is is we we had done some different christmas shows and and banquets and we got started in church but once we got out into the public, we just, we decided pretty early on, you know what, I'm only going to feel good about this if we do family shows, and, and if that limits us to church events, then, well, we're never going to hit the big time, because we kind of thought we had something going, but what's weird is that was actually our niche, even though it's improv, so it's not scriptural based, it's not based on anything. You're making it up on the spot. But the fact that we committed ourselves to clean comedy became our niche because no, there was nothing else out there like it. And you might think, well, why is that a market for even a, a, a Christian event? Well, sometimes a band or a speaker wants to have something in front of them. That isn't, if you will, churchy or religious sounding or doesn't have a message. So by the time the, the speaker gets out there, they're, they're more open to hearing a message because laughter just has that knack of of making people connect with each other because you're all laughing but also bring your own walls down to be more receptive to what you're what you're about about to hear so yeah that 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 really became the the niche for us and oh but yeah long story even longer that is what got me over my stage fright and my issue of fear of auditioning and being in front of other people and making a fool of yourself because I'd been doing that for years. So I was almost 40 years old by the time I tried out for my first show in in uh, community theater here at, at Grand Rapids Civic Theater. And I remember they were doing The Sound of Music and I felt like, you know what? I know that script well enough. I know that story well enough. I feel good enough about it that I'm I'm just gonna go there and give it my all. And get this what I what I did is I sang a song from the Easter program in the the church that I was a part of. Not knowing any better, not knowing everybody's going to come in and sing a song from a musical cuz that's what you're supposed to do. I came in singing the song I played uh, Ju- <laughs> I played Judas Scariot that that year so I came into the theater auditioning for Captain Von Trapp as with a song like Dirty silver coins, dirty silver coins, mine for the keeping, all mine. (laughs) And and, uh, never really thinking, oh, they're not going to take me seriously. Because the other part of that was, and fill out your audition card with the shows that you've done in the past, which in my history was none, you know. So here I'm singing a song that really doesn't belong at at a proper audition with the experience of... I didn't have any experience besides doing improv comedy. And what part did you want to try out for? I wanted to try out for captain von Trapp <laughs> and I got the part. Yes. Wow. I went from dirty silver coins to little vice,
0: <laughs> Is that wild? That's really, really great. So have you been doing a lot of shows since then? <laughs> oh, just about, yeah,
1: just about every other year since then I've, I've, I've done the show or yeah show for
2: them yeah that's awesome uh I can definitely believe now that I'm like hearing you give these samples of music I definitely believe that you sing you have a great voice mm, well thank you yeah
0: yeah it's it's there uh, jumping back to something you said a little bit ago about doing clean comedy and not necessarily having an overt Christian message mm-hmm. that's sort of what Gilead is a lot of the time you know
1: what that's true
0: yeah you want you want to talk about that a little bit
1: no go ahead with your question I didn't mean to interrupt
0: no, no, I was going to say that with Beth Culp's writing and John Fornoff's a lot of the time, <clears throat> and Laurie Twitchell, who was the main writer after uh, season six and, and onward, uh, with with their writing, a lot of the times it's the families, it's the the things that are happening around Coleraine, and mm-hmm. it doesn't always need to be shoehorned in that this is what God is doing in these people's lives, but it just comes naturally from those situations, and it doesn't have to have a moral... Uh, at the end, because when you have good story and good characters, it you can uh, people relate to that, and you can see God in that.
1: I am so so glad that you finished the end of that question because that's it, exactly. <laughs> no, it is. It is that just seems to be lacking sometimes in our in our understanding when we think of church and we think of Christian writing that we automatically think it has to be god 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 because we've forgotten that it's all god's story i mean i live my workaday world and guess what i live as a as a christian i'm 59 years old i know that the role that god plays in my in my life and you know what it feels like 90 percent of the time i'm just living my life but the truth is the story that i'm living the important stuff the not so important stuff the things that I'm struggling with, the things that I have joy about, that God's a part of all of that. Whether I see him that way or not is, isn't the point. The, the, the point is, it's all his story. Everything that I enjoy, he's created. Everything is a gift. When I hear Paul write that way in the New Testament, it begins to really make sense to me that it's all for you. You know, he did it all for you. that 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 jesus lays down his glory for you oh and by the way you receive that glory in heaven it's all for you mike how in the world can we have a god that big that doesn't literally offer us and he doesn't require credit for it he doesn't come back and say and when you forgot oh then i'm really upset with you when we forget it's it's almost like god planned it that way that that we weren't required to live our, our entire life. Remember, I, 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 I'm, it feels, it feels sacrilegious to say it that way, but in a sense, like I want such a real relationship with you that you are allowed to forget me, but when you come back or when you do this in remembrance of me, really remember what I did. And now you have the right, freedom, there's that
2: love and grace.
1: Yes. And that's what comes through to me in, in, in those stories is the reality of you, especially that message to kids. You can go about living your life, struggling with your parents, struggling with your siblings, struggling with your friends, and celebrating at the at the same time, and God's a part of all of it. It's his story, actually, way before it's our story.
0: Yeah, all of the stories we make are based on the creativity he's given us, really. Yeah. And we can't craft a better story than the ones that he designs in our lives, or the one that... He laid out in the Bible all these events, and Christ coming to save us and to give us redemption for all of our sin, and leading us to make stories to lead other people back to him. Don't let
1: anybody tell you that that story makes light of what God did. Theology may sound really heady and and intelligent and it's and it's over my head. but the truth is when God had this opportunity to finally break through and say here's the words that i want people to know here's what i want them to think about the old testament full of stories and then he sends his his son this this breakthrough moment this huge moment that angels and, and people should be rejoicing here's this huge moment his son is born and raised and when he begins to teach he tells stories there's something about a story that allows human beings human beings well, there were thinking spiritually or or not spiritually that make us see things differently.
0: Yeah. Speaking of stories. Sorry. um, No, (laughs) no, that's, that's okay. Speaking of stories. We don't really know a, a ton about what went on behind the scenes for all mm. the recording sessions. So the the bit that you've given us is really really great. Mm. It's it's cool to hear about the directors and the other actors and what they've said and stuff like that. Do you have any other stories that you can share from recording <laughs> this sessions? This is just mm. this is just Rodney's
2: by bi- Rodney's story hour. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> just In general, some of the most fun that I had is you have to picture yourself. You show up at a recording studio with all these other people and we receive our script and, and of course what you do is you, you, you skim through and you look for the lines that, that you have and, and you think about how you're going to deliver them and you kind of work them out in your head. But it's so much fun because then you, then you actually, cause you, we didn't rehearse. They, they would not send us the script ahead of time. You got there and they gave us, whatever, 15 minutes, maybe a little longer to look over the part that we have. But they wanted us to be fresh in reading it in, in studio. And so you're going over it in your head and then you actually go out there. And that was the fun for me anyway, hearing how other people actually interpreted theirs. And if you think about it, how a person talks to you changes how you respond to them so yeah you might have an idea in your head of oh this is how that line's going to go this is how i want to read it but the fun of it was oh no they're actually bringing something else out so i need to respond to them um, this way that was some of the most fun that i had nothing about it felt programmed or pre-programmed like i'm just going to go in there and and read my lines there's there's just a sense of community that happens when that, that that's when you begin to realize how much you truly rely on other people. And in my view, that's not that much different in real life. We get caught up in our own life, but it's, it's not until key moments happen that we kind of step back and go, Oh, wait a minute. There was these other people that had
0: a hand in it too. So one thing we haven't really touched on is at the end of the series, um, Tom Richter dies suddenly. Mm, yeah. And I, I don't know how much of that was a surprise to you, but what was what was going through your mind as you were reading those lines and and acting for those episodes they wanted to get rid of me <laughs>
2: <laughs> obviously
1: <laughs> no i honestly honestly did not know when i showed up and read that there was no warning i did not see it coming they did not give me that spoiler alert i showed up and i found out oh okay i see where where they're where they're going so yeah that was a bit of a, a surprise but i was like a good challenge and and then they did tell me at that time that 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 wasn't the actually the end of Tom Richter that I was going to come back for some other poignant scenes in that final season like a uh, I think it was a voicemail that I had left oh you guys might know better than I
2: yeah yeah you left a voicemail for Tiffany yeah so that was
1: an unusual phone call to get to we know you we've killed you off but now that you're dead would you mind coming in and reading some more <laughs> oh sure it was great fun obviously.
0: So from an actor's standpoint, Tom's arc was, was his arc, do you think his arc was complete as far as coming through from the beginning, being the villain, transforming midway through, and finally having his death be the inciting action for his wife to come to Christ? Yeah. Well, I'm biased. So my, my
1: bias is that what I really enjoy is, um, everybody thinks it's it's fun to play the 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 good guy, I think it's like the hardest like to play Jesus in in a in a church drama. You don't want to press that too much. I had fun playing uh, one of the most fun roles in church. I had playing was was Peter, because here's a guy that's always putting his foot in his mouth. You can say lines a lot of different ways. You don't have to be afraid to make a mistake. So what was fun about Tom's arc is is the changes the person goes through. That's always for me the most fun so yeah um playing somebody a little bit gritty with with the people of the neighborhood and especially john morrison and then you know a little bit more mild-mannered with with my wife monica so that was fun in the initial seasons but then to have this great transformation where i moved from non-christian to christian because now everything from here on in there's a marked there should be some sort of a marked difference as far as how this person talks with everybody. And sure, he he struggles just like everybody else to be the person he wants to be. But but he truly becomes a different person. And then in the end to have not just Gilead Lane end, but the end of my character, I just saw as the as such a great arc in the in my own part in the in the story. I I loved it. I I I wouldn't have wanted to play the different part.
0: Yeah, I realized as I was listening through that this series really isn't the story of the Morrisons, although they're right there and they do have their stories. It's much more the story of the Richter family and of Tom Richter. Those episodes really made it seem like he was even maybe not more significant character than, than the the Morrisons, but a really, really significant character. The thing in every story is you got to have a rock solid basis
1: of what is the driving force behind the story. And by far and away, the Morrisons carried that. And in the early years, especially the Richters were the almost the opposite anecdote to the Morrisons. So that was fun. But if you, you know, you can't have a bunch of you you can't have a wacky family that's kind of messed up really portray a, a story that represents anything that sounds like a, a Christian Christian drama especially for for kids. Right, you need the the Christian family right there, right? Yes, you you need the the rock solid basis to be able to 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 play off from. So they were hugely significant then. and and I think early on we we played a a, a side note to that, and it, yes, in in the end, it's always well. Look at it this way: there is the lead character in a story often goes through an arc where they where they change and become a a, a different person. But in those in those stories where the villain is the one that comes around, there's something heartwarming about that. That almost at times can feel more dramatic, if I can steal from The Sound of Music. For example, Fraulein Maria is a spitfire from the very beginning, and yet sweet at the same time. That's how she carries the show, with that great contrast of of personality. But really, the, the, the bigger transformation that happens is with Captain Von Trapp, because he turns out to be, starts out being this strict character, but ma- what makes that interesting is the fact that Fraulein Maria sways him from that, through the use of music and obviously his, his children. So it becomes it, the, the story really takes a a turn and it becomes really heartwarming when this guy that was acting like he was on the the captain of a ship becomes um, really, truly a a father to his children and a husband to a wife. And so moments without the stability of a story that you want to follow because it's someone you, you like. Without that, you really can't have a transforming character like a villain becoming a, a, a good guy. So I felt I had the, the luxury of, of playing a, a much smaller part than, than John Morrison at the beginning and the privilege of being the person that had the change of heart toward the, toward the end. But that's what story's all about.
0: Well, looks like that's a good place to wrap this interview up. Um, Ronnie Tesla, thank you so, so much for being here. This was amazing to be able to talk with you about Gilead and about your experience on the show. You know, up until a couple days ago, I didn't know if we were going to have an interview for the end of season three on our podcast. But so thank you for showing up. This was this was really great. Yes, thank you. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure. And in the meantime, I'm Michael. I'm Ryan. Thanks so much for joining us. And we'll see you next time as we begin season four on our return to Gilead.